Welcome to this Epic Life Podcast, our platform to create dialogue and deepen community with you. You, the listener, can build on these conversations on the Epic Chat Forum that we host on Facebook. So after the episode, head over there and join in. We love to hear your stories of growth. Come and build this community with us. Grief. It's something that can make you feel desperate and uncomfortable. Everyone experiences it, but not everyone knows how to understand it. Nancy Dome and I get to sit with Laura Thomas as she shares her journey with grief. We hope you may all have a chance to learn and grow with us in our compassion with ourselves and with others. So Laura, if you could just give us a little rundown of what your life experiences have been and how it's led you here today. Yeah, so I spend my days uh, working as a writer and a speaker. And what I'm really about is figuring out how we can remove barriers to love. And I mean that in a variety of ways. We have barriers to internal love. We have barriers to external love. And I think these barriers are things that keep us from being the people we want to be and from living into our fullest um, unbridled expression. And I have stories have been part of my life for a long time. I grew up doing theater and speech. And then since then, I've always been writing. Um, And then I also help other people by telling their stories, because I think that empowering people to tell their story through their books or through their talks is another way for them to overcome that internal barrier to love so that they can change the narrative of how they see themselves, of what they think their expression in the world is, um, and so that they can feel empowered in their life. Because I think we're all on that journey to kind of feel a little more empowered, to feel a little more empowered being ourselves. So that's how I spend my days. That's my passion. And certainly with this TED Talk, that was something that I was trying to accomplish also. Great. Thank you so much. How is it that you decided to talk about grief in your TED Talk? Theater has always been a huge part of my life. It was actually a part of my brother's life, the older brother that I lost. And that for me was a kind of a playground where I could explore emotions. And it was a familiar structure um, that allowed me to explore something that was really unstructured. And it was, it, I didn't really think a whole lot about it, to be honest, before I started doing this one moment play locally in my, uh, where I was living at that time in Madison, Wisconsin, at just a community center. And what I found was that the people who came to the performances, um, afterwards, we sat down and had a discussion, and they were also yearning for this kind of connection around this subject of grief that was still kind of taboo, really hard for us to approach. But there was a real connection that was made between people in those discussions, even though we didn't know people's names, it was a group of strangers. And so after I did the performances, I I kind of ramped up that creative expression. And I traveled around to different states doing these performances. The message that I kept hearing from people was, keep going, this is really important. And that made me pause and consider how could I get this out to a larger audience? Because it's kind of hard to get people to come to a one woman play about grief. And then we're going to have discussion afterwards. That's not the idea of people's fun Friday night, which I totally get. And so I wondered, was there a way to, to bring grief to a larger audience in a way that felt approachable, that didn't feel necessarily like this really dense, really heavy, really upsetting topic, but could actually be explored in a very human way that that welcomed the lightness of grief and the love and grief and the beauty and grief and the transformation in grief, as well as the pain and the challenge and the difficulty. And that's, I've known about TED Talks for a long time. I've always loved that platform. And I thought it would be an incredible opportunity and challenge 
to ask myself, how could I break this down into say like a 12 minute talk and try to connect with with people in that format. Um, and I just feel really fortunate that this TED group gave me an opportunity to speak at their TEDx Women event. So that I think I felt really compelled by the subject matter of grief and by the people who came to the performances who kept telling me, keep going, spread this bigger, spread this wider, because we need this in more ways than one in our society right now. Yeah. You know, what's, what's amazing is as I hear you talk and, and, you know, you really nailed it. Like, how do you convince people to come watch a show about grief and then talk to strangers about it? But what I realize is that we're all starving for connection, right? And, and, and the more isolated we become and the more, you know, kind of hyper-focused on, you know, work and, and then just this isolation that we forget that that connection is actually what, what makes us human. And you, you know, that's one outlet. And so I think that many of us struggle with how, how do we show our emotions when we're, and, and allow them to, to happen and, and feel them. And we don't have an outlet for it. So for you, your outlet was theater and creating this, you know, and for other people who don't have, um, you know, say theater as a background, what is your outlet? For me, it's, it's, um, it's, activity. It's like hiking. You know, me being in nature is where I get to process all those feelings that I struggle with. And um, and how do we really support people to understand that, you know, whatever your outlet is, you have to find it, right? Because otherwise it's, it's that part of eating you up. I mean, part of the healing comes from letting it flow, right? Letting it, expressing it, and then being able to move beyond it. And not to say that it goes away, but if we don't ever process it, then, you know, it just kind of eats at us, right? Right. And I think that even that that phrase, letting it flow, is something that is not really part of our emotional literacy. We don't necessarily think about being intuitive and open to our emotional existence. We live in a world that is very... organized and productivity oriented and, and hyper analytical and something like grief or just sadness or, um, or even love or existential confusion. These things don't fit in a linear box. They can't be processed in, in a checklist. They don't have a timeline and they often sneak up on us when we wouldn't want them to, <laughs> we yeah. want to keep going. And we, we think that even when we're experiencing something like grief, we should be able to quote, like perform at the same level and proficiency that yeah. we have been when we're feeling, um, when we're not necessarily feeling connected to that deep level of emotionality. But I agree with you, Nancy, that mm-hmm. if we don't allow these emotions and experiences to flow, then, then that's when we start getting kind of this emotional debris backing mm-hmm. up and backlogging. And that's where some, um, I think, other habits can start to develop. And we, we get more disconnected from others, as you pointed out, too, because we are disconnected from ourselves. Yeah. So it can also just be hard to make the space to be a full human in our um, pretty fast-paced world. Yeah, yeah. And so how do we slow it down? You know, and I, I can't even take credit for that that language of flow. I remember in my, um, I don't know, late 20s reading Dan Millman's The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Mm-hmm. And I remember what an impactful book that was for me in that moment of just like really allowing like it's okay for me to feel and stealing, dealing with so many um, stereotypes that um, have been kind of thrown my way being a black woman, you know, and being very, you know, emotional. I used the quotations emotional um, instead of it being seen as just passionate and, um, and really 
recognizing that I had to deal with all those things that came up and how they impacted how I, I I guess, allowed them to impact my life and kind of um, start to instill anger and and frustration in my own life. And, um, And I remember reading that book and just having this aha moment of, you know, when you lose everything, allowing that emotion to flow through you without trying to suppress it so that you can then move into a productive uh, zone of um, of action because you've let it flow through you. And it just was a, it was a, just a very powerful moment for me that has stuck with me now for 30 plus years. Mm, and that makes me think of some of the definitions that I've read about compassion, which I know is a lot of the work that you do, is um, it's being empathetic, but also having action. It's mm-hmm. not just understanding how people feel and, you know, mm-hmm. standing by and saying like, you know, like, wow, I feel that, that really sucks. It's what can I actually do that would be action in the direction of something that, that aligns with my moral compass, that creates less suffering, that yes. makes us more connected and more to equal footing. So I feel like that compassion is a huge part of this also. Absolutely. And, and compassion um, for ourselves, right? So not only for others, but actually for ourselves. I find that we are the toughest critics on ourselves. And we, we you know, I, I, we are working on this now we get evaluations back and you can have 95, 98% of them be stellar. And the ones we focus on are that, you know, that less than 2% that someone didn't like, you know, our tone or didn't like the way we did it. And, and I just wonder how much of that is human nature that we, we, we just gravitate towards that negativity. And where do we allow ourselves to be compassionate towards ourselves about, you know, the things we're, we're, we're having a human experience and we're not perfect. And, and so on this journey, it's, it's being able to, um, to, to go easy on ourselves as we, as we grow and, and, um, and struggle, you know, with grief or what, whatever the emotion is or anger or frustration um, and allowing those things to, to happen and know that they're normal parts of our existence. I think mm. that we, we also need to be extra mindful of, living in the United States in a capitalist economy and in, an in individualistic culture is the fact that there is this idea that of you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and mm-hmm. pick yourself up and there's no time to lag and there's no time to experience that mm-hmm. grief. Like we got to keep going. Like you said before, Laura, that productivity mindset. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times we lose that space to even feel like we can deal with our grief, that we can reach out to others. There's a lot of shame behind it. Yeah. And I think as far as what I'm seeing in my generation and just getting out of like the university culture and everything, the mindfulness and the mental health awareness, there's, there's a new gear that's definitely amping up towards realizing like that is what we need to start addressing because it's becoming a problem and we see that being perpetuated over and over in these generations that it's 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 not to be ignored anymore Hmm. absolutely and i feel like one of the hardest things about mindfulness and that we're talking about and about compassion is this self-oriented relationship of of can we 
one thing that I say is uh, one of the biggest expressions of self-love is how do we treat our thoughts? Do we treat the thoughts that surface in our mind with care and with Mm -hmm. compassion and with love? Or do we immediately jump to shame? And do we immediately jump to judgment and think, well, I'm a terrible person for having thought that, or this person is a terrible person for having done that. And that I think is, um, is one of the biggest turning points for, for this journey of mindfulness and of vulnerability too, because it's one thing to be vulnerable, say on social media and sharing with people how pain is affecting your life, which can be incredibly powerful because it can connect us. It can help us know that we're not alone. But if that is done and yet we still aren't showing that same level of compassion for ourselves internally, then I don't know how deep that vulnerability is actually helping us heal and helping us transform. Um, And it's, nobody else can be responsible for how we treat ourselves except for ourselves. We may have learned habits from other people. We may have learned our internal dialogue from other people, but at the end of the day, we're responsible for how we treat ourselves. And whether it's, whether it's grief or other kinds of pain that we're experiencing in our lives, I don't think that healing and transformation can happen unless we're working on that very important relationship. Yeah. That's such a valid point. Um, you know, one of the things that we do in our um, compassionate dialogue that we teach using the protocol is really about, it, it's not about punishing yourselves for the thoughts, for the biases that show up, you know, when they show up, it's that we all have them. It's what we do with them afterwards, right? So if we can be in that place of, of one vulnerability and two compassion, when they arise, we're not judging them. We're not knocking them down and moving into that place of shame. We're saying, okay, wow, where did that come from? You know, it, it's more of an analytical, like I want to analyze that. I want to, I want to, you know, deep dive into it and understand the origins. And then I want to like, is it true? Is it not true? And then I can address it and move forward. And, th- and that's an action piece too, of like, it's, I'm going to have these thoughts. I'm going to have these feelings it, there, there's nothing wrong with them, but what do I do with them? You know, that it's the outcome at the end that really matters. It's like, what, what do I do with them once I acknowledge that they're there with, you know, mm-hmm. and if I can't, if I, if I punish myself every time they come up, I, I can't even move beyond that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that kind of segues perfectly into um, one of the more, kind of taboo topics when it comes to experiencing grief in our society. And that is, we are hyper, we have, we have this idea of hyper masculinity that exists that affects all of us. So we'd love to hear Laura, what is your opinion on how our society has been impacted for those men and, and their ability to express grief? a really good question. And I think so um, important that we look at it all together, as opposed to placing the responsibility, say, on men or people who have felt marginalized because emotions haven't been welcomed for them, Mm -hmm. um, because we all need to make it acceptable. And I even think about, there was one of the performances that I did, and in the discussion afterwards, a gentleman was there and he raised his hand and he shared that 
he had lost, I believe it was a sibling, but someone close to him um, to suicide a couple months before. And he said, I went to work the next day mm. and I ha- I've been going every day since because I don't know what to do. Mm. Nobody is there telling me that you're allowed to take time off for this. You're allowed mm-hmm. to go experience this. He said, you know, like now I have the responsibility of taking care of more people, of being the strong one in my family, of keeping it together for my other family members who are feeling exceptionally emotionally vulnerable. And he says, I know I'm stuffing it down but I don't know what my other option is. And I really don't know how to let go of this strong um, visage that I have adopted. And that probably has also been put on him by Mm -hmm. others, which um, I could see the dilemma and I could see that it wasn't, it shouldn't solely be on him to give himself space for emotions that he needs people around him who can also help shape that narrative and change that narrative Mm -hmm. and make, grief or or just general emotional expression and vulnerability okay for him as well as for other men because i do think that grief is really interesting everybody has their own journey and i 100% honor that there was even somebody who watched my ted talk as i was as i was practicing and he said you know what suppression has been the best way for me to continue with grief right now because if i open that can of worms i don't think i'll ever recover mm-hmm. and i really respected where he was coming from because we all have our coping mechanisms and they they do keep us safe but i also think that there's a lot of space for creating new narratives for people for opening new dialogue and for making grief okay especially for men and that was something that as i was doing the performances was really powerful was not only when men would come, but when they would share. And then everybody else could really see the kind of burdens that they were placing on themselves and maybe they felt was being placed on them. So however that is, just on a, I think the one-on-one relationship is a really important place that we can all engage in and in, in checking in with people and letting people know that they aren't judged, they aren't shamed for their emotions, letting them know that we are there for them and that we choose them exactly as they are. And anything that they feel will not change how we perceive them. But also at a societal level, whether it's at the workplace or it's through our mental health organizations or through the doctors who might be talking to somebody, one of their patients after a loss, creating kinds of dialogues that gives people space, but also tools and resources. Because I think for somebody who's kept emotions bottled up, as this gentleman expressed at the end of the performance, he didn't know what to do. And that's where the support comes in, whether it's mental health support, counseling, family and friends. Um, We all feel pretty lost in grief. And I think one of the best, at least options for me, has been to feel lost with other people, to have people around me who care about me, and who can help support me in that way. So I, I can't speak as a man, I'm a woman, but those have been some of my experiences with people who come to performances. And I do think that, that the masculine approach that we have in our society impacts all of us. It impacts women also who maybe feel that emotions are weakness. There's still some of that stigma around it. And, and grief, it goes on for a long time. It's not something that gets cured over three days. I think it's with us our whole lives and it just changes. Yeah. And whether it's within ourselves, within our families and our friends or within our workplaces, learning how to make that acceptable for grief to come back years later, just because it needs to be processed is, is also something that we can engage in. Yeah. You know, you, <clears throat> you've kind of struck a couple of things for me as you were speaking. One, there was an article I read a while ago and it was um, entitled something like um, the day my white boss talked about race. 
And it was a really powerful article because it was based on this woman. Um, it was another uh, shooting that occurred of a black man and she went to work the next day, you know, but all that anger and fear and all the things that are wrapped up. And her boss actually walked up to her and said, you know, asked her to come in and talk and, and asked, how are you doing? I know this must be impacting you. And she said, after she got past the shock of being asked about race, you know, at work uh, and about something that seems extremely extraneous to her, that she just broke down crying because it was like that permission to, to like not have to stuff it down to let it come up. And it opened this dialogue for her and for her boss that really had never been there because she had felt very misunderstood as, you know, one of the only women of color um, as these, as these events were taking place in the media. Right. And it brings me to what you're talking about is this notion of, of, Sometimes we have to, if, if we're paying attention and we under, understand that we're all connected, it, it's also incumbent of us to reach out and, and, and ask and to check in because sometimes like that gentleman, he doesn't know what he needs. He doesn't, you know, and, and because no one's talking about it, we're just kind of going about business as usual. I, I know for me, um, it's always helpful if someone just takes a moment and just says like, are you okay? you know, or, or whatever. And so, you know, making that time for each other and to pay attention to people, um, that you're, that you're surrounded with, uh, when you see those shifts and to, to recognize that sometimes people just don't know what to do. And, and sometimes all they need is a simple question, like, how are you doing, you know, or, or to be able to begin to process that. Um, and, and I think that that's powerful. And then the second piece was this notion of changing how grief changes over time. And, I lost my brother when I was um, 29 and I know that, you know, there's no rhyme or reason um, for when it comes back up. And it's been this kind of deepening of understanding. And I'd say most of the time I can make it a glass half full, you know, where I can, the things that came out of it and what we learned and the, and the changes that we all made because of it. And then sometimes it's just plain sad, you know, and, and all of those are okay. But, you know, learning, no one, no one, just like no one teaches you how to balance a checkbook in school, they don't teach you how to, you know, how to, how to deal with grief that we're inevitably going to experience throughout our life. And so how do we, how do we normalize, you know, those emotions that are associated with that? Right. And I feel like conversations like this are so important because yeah. for me, so much of what has helped me in my grief is this normalization that you're talking about, Nancy, yeah. is having other people say, oh yeah, there are times when I also fear feel just despair and yeah. sadness. I'm just yeah. purely sad that I lost this person and it's been 10 years. And, and I feel like I'm right back at that place when I got that call or whatever yeah. it is. And to hear other people express that same thing makes me know that when I feel it, it's not an anomaly. I'm not broken. I'm not yeah. wrong. I'm not bad. I'm not weak. This is an expression of extreme love. This was yeah. a person I loved. This was a big thing that shook up my life. Of course, it's going to be processed throughout my life. But I think if we aren't given examples of that, we don't have conversations around that. Again, with our self-critical minds, we won't readily come to those conclusions ourselves and we won't give ourselves the grace and the permission mm -hmm. to feel what we feel without judgment or shame. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really important point is the permission. Mm -hmm. is exactly that. You want to feel like you belong and you're accepted. And sometimes we look at, at grief and expressing emotion as something that's going to make us unaccepted. Mm -hmm. But the more we talk about it, the more we bring it up that, you know, we, we should all be here for each other. That's in the end, what do we have other than 
humans and, and each other in our relationships. Right? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyways, <laughs> so Laura, what are some strategies that you would suggest or have suggested to help us get past some of our fears of being vulnerable with each other? Yeah. The first one is, is what we were just talking about. You made up a great point. It's kind of like at the end of the day, the thing that we have is each other. We don't always have answers to the questions we want. We don't always have control over our lives in the way we wish we could control them. We don't always have um, permanence. Things are always changing and, and it often feels like they're outside of our control. And in the midst of that kind of maelstrom of being human, at least we have each other. We're in this together. And so for me, the most um, meaningful expression of vulnerability is to call up the people who I know won't judge me. They won't shame me. They'll be there for me no matter what. And just to say to them, you know, could you come be with me right now? Or could you talk to me right now? And sometimes they'll even say the words, I don't need you to fix me. I just want you to listen. I would just like to share every heartache that's on my mind, that's in my heart. And, and I know that they're not entirely true. I know my life isn't full of despair, but I just need to express the pain and to have it be held by somebody who says, you know, I choose you. I see you. I love you. You don't have to be anything other than what you are. So that would be one thing I think is, is finding those personal relationships. It can be hard. It can be hard to open up to people that we haven't had that level of intimacy, if you will, with before. And I think using some of that language to ask for what you need um, can be really helpful, which is you know, to say like, I don't need you to fix anything because let's face it, we all love to fix things because we don't like to see people in pain. And so we want to come in with solution ABC. Have you tried vitamin D? Are you getting out of the sun? Are you sleeping well? And it's like, I'm doing all the things. I just, my heart hurts and I need you there with me. Hold my hand. So it's okay to ask for what you need and to also say what you don't. Um, and then another thing I think what we are also talking about is, is learning to befriend our experiences and learning to um, to be comfortable with being ourselves. That's, that's not an easy thing. I think we're all on that journey of figuring out not only who we are, but but how we can be fully in this body, in this mind, in these experiences, with this past. These are the things we can't change, but how we relate to it, that is the thing we can change. Nancy, I loved how you explained the compassionate dialogue and, mm-hmm. and really challenging some of the negative thoughts that come up. Is that true? Is, can I absolutely know that that's true? Who would I be without that kind of thought, without that thinking? Who would I be if I could give myself compassion in this moment and just allow myself to feel what I'm feeling without any barriers? Um, and then the third thing is, and this one is maybe when we aren't feeling grief extremely, is to practice being there for others because yeah. this is a circular relationship. And I think we can actually train our muscle for compassion for ourselves by having compassion for others. And if we are there for others who, who need help or we are, we're checking in with them to see if they're okay. Nancy, one thing that you said that, um, that brought something up for me was, I think when we don't know what to do, we opt for inaction. Yeah, And it's, it's better to, to sort of be curious and to lean into the places that are uncomfortable when we don't have answers to see if we can be there for somebody else or we can do something for them. And it's okay if we get it wrong. Everybody's afraid of saying the wrong thing. If you don't say something cruel, then you're probably not saying the wrong thing. But sometimes just to say anything is an expression of care. So learning how to be there for others and going outside our comfort zones to, to offer ourselves to somebody who is struggling. I think the reason we don't 
lean into that is because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And we, we have this self-protective mechanism and we don't want to suffer more than we already are. Um, but we can actually be in a, a practice of healing ourselves, I think, by learning how to be there for others. Absolutely. And I, and I think that last piece is, um, is really important of this notion of us learning, understanding that discomfort is a natural state for us. Um, and I don't know where that shifted, where we became so kind of discomfort and conflict avoidant, but in, in avoiding those things, we actually lose our, that muscle to be able to address those tough things when they do come up. And so we end up running and avoiding because we don't know what to do. And, and I think in so many ways it paralyzes us and, and keeps us separate from each other. So that this notion of leaning into discomfort and understanding that it's, it's a natural state for humans on, and you know, this, this, this fairy tale of, um, you know, the happily ever after and, and the, the, the fun life and the happy life, you know, happiness for me is such a broader definition and happiness also includes the sadness because it makes me complete. It means that I'm feeling, it means that I care. Um, and so how do we lean into discomfort as a natural state of the larger picture of us, of us having a human experience that can, that is still fulfilling and joyous, you know, and sometimes uncomfortable. And And it makes us more resilient too. If we only know how to operate at that level of emotion that is this kind of elevation, this super positivity that almost, I think, kind of represents a state of mania that also isn't pure. You know, we have those moments and and they can be extremely joyous, but I agree it is unrealistic to live there all the time. And that means if we only are comfortable existing in that place, when we're inevitably faced with challenges, which we all are at some point or another in our own expression, then we're not as resilient for being there. We don't know how to engage with the discomfort that is our lives. And a lot of being human is being discomfort, but I think a discomfortable, but I think you can learn how to be strong and courageous and resilient and, you know, healing in those places much more than in a place that is um, just stasis all the time. In fact, I I, I would say that, that the growth usually mostly only happens in those spaces, right? There's, there's no reason to grow and shift and, and adjust when you're, when you're comfortable. There's no, there's no reason to even look for right. another option when you're in this place of comfort. So our, our, I think our human growth depends on us embracing these spaces. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and I don't know about you ladies, but I know for myself, sometimes I just wake up and I'm just not doing okay. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really come from anywhere that I could recognize, but I can feel it. Yeah. And, and I've really been just trying to be more mindful of giving myself the time to heal before trudging on because that's what I did for a long time just being yeah. more young and and probably ignorant because I didn't realize like you know there's this space to sit with myself and I mm-hmm. can ask for forgiveness for the people around me and and how important it is that I need to be healing myself before I can be good for other people. And I know even as I think about having a f- making my own family one day, how important that's going to be for me to be the best for them yeah. as I'm going through it. And, and like I said, I don't even have something that I'm necessarily holding on to specifically because I haven't lost someone or had a super tragic 
upsetting thing happen in my life to this Mm -hmm. day. And I feel so blessed for that. But I do feel like preparing myself now and understanding how to deal with my emotions will help me prepare for when that is to come because it it, it happens to everybody. You come to a point in your life where you have to deal with something that's going to tear you down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another aspect too that I, a lot of uh, people in the, in the performance discussions afterwards would say things to, um, to put a caveat in before they shared their story by saying something like, well, my pain isn't as big as yours, dot, dot, dot. And I would always say, this isn't a comparison game. Mm -hmm. Whatever your metric is, you've experienced the lowest you've ever experienced thus far in your life already. There are many different expressions of challenge. And as you said, we all, it is a part of a normal human experience to have the highs and to have the lows and to not have it always make sense. Um, And that's something that I I think I'm still learning and normalizing for myself too, that there can be days where I can wake up and things aren't super great. And I think that they should be. I think that every day I should be at full optimization, which I think is another myth that's kind of circling, that I should be able to have a bullet coffee with a stick of butter and feel absolutely amazing and get everything done. And the reality is we're supposed to have a variety of experiences in our lives. And we as organic beings are constantly responding to so much stimulus around us. And it's okay. You know, I just tell myself that all the time. It's okay that you're feeling this way. You are absolutely where you need to be. You are a human. Reach out to the people you need to support you and just know that there's nothing to, that there's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken. Um, and I also really respect that, that you're looking forward in terms of how can I continue building my resiliency muscles? Because I think we, we're all working on that. We, none of us know what's going to come in our future except for change and except for um, highs and lows. And that's about it. So what can we do in this moment to work with our lives to continue growing in the direction that we want to grow? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Wrapping this up now, uh, we want to take this back just for a second to the fact that it is Women's History Month and um, you are a very empowering, awesome, inspiring woman, Laura. So we just want to get a little bit of advice from you as far as um, what would you offer to young women regarding their experience in grief and um, the role in their lives that it takes? Mm. I think the first thing that I would offer is that you're not alone. Grief can feel exceptionally lonely. Um, It can feel like brand new territory that you've never been. And no matter how lonely you feel and how much you feel like your world has completely shifted and reoriented, you're not alone. And so anybody who's around you who you feel like would be safe and secure, ask them to be there for you. I know it's a really hard thing, especially when you're feeling down. You would just wish everybody could understand what's already inside your head and provide for you. But the best thing I think you can do is ask for the support that you need. Even if you don't know what you need, ask them to be there or to check in with you or to bring you a meal or whatever it is. But know that you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. And then the the second and final thing I'd offer is um, grief is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of great love. It's a sign of humanity. It's a sign of being a sentient being who has 
had a rich and dynamic life thus far, and you will continue having a rich and dynamic life full of ups and downs and mistakes and sorrows and happinesses. Um, but I hope that we, we can really erase the idea that grief is weakness because it's not. I think it's one of our greatest strengths because it's connected to what shows that we're alive, which is that we care and we love and we want to keep growing into the best version of ourselves. Um, and that to me is an enormous strength. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, imagine that rephrasing. And if we could rephrase so many of the things that um, we encounter um, that are absolutely, you know, a part of our experience. And if we could look at them through that positive light, through that positive lens Mm -hmm. and really appreciate that, you know, to hear that, you know, my expression of grief is a sign of, of, that I've loved, you know, and of of great love. And so um, I think that's a beautiful way to, to, to end this talk. Thank you so much, Laura, for, for just your time and, your thoughtfulness um, around this topic and for bringing a perspective that I think will be very interesting to um, the folks who listen. Thank you both. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you, Laura. We appreciate you and keep on going out there and inspiring and inspiring and, and performing and doing what you do best because it, it really is awesome. And once again, check out her TED talk because it really is great. She puts on a, a performance. And um, it's something that all of us can benefit from seeing. Yeah. And in fact, we'll make sure to put a link um, at the end of this video so that folks can just have an easy link to go check it out. Yeah. Thank you. Visit www.epiceducation.com for resources that will help you to understand and navigate the ever-changing world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are a company that trains and transforms with innovative in-person and online equity workshops that support school districts and leaders to build capacity to carry on this work internally. Now go out and have an epic day.